Hi, this is Susie McGrath. I play Tam Rivor in Star Wars Resistance, and you're listening to Radio Dakar. Broadcasting across the galaxy, you're listening to Radio Dakar, a Star Wars podcast dedicated to Resistance, The Mandalorian, and more. All right, hello everyone, and welcome to the latest edition of Radio Dakar. I'm your host, Doug Brooks, and I've got my co-host, Little Han, with me. Hey. Hey. And we got Brownie over here. We have Brownie the Porg is with us. (laughs) Hi, Brownie. So, this is our first review of The Mandalorian. Episode 1. Episode 1, also called Chapter 1. They don't don't have clever names uh, for the episodes, like Resistance, but that's okay. So, for those of you who are listening to the show for the first time, perhaps, because you you have been watching The Mandalorian on yeah. Disney+, Plus, um, we, uh, we do a review from a kind of a family point of view. I always like to find out what the kids thought of the show. Yeah. You know, Star, Star Wars is for everybody, and so uh, it's Mom not... Porglets. Yeah, Mom and the Porglets don't watch it, but that's okay. <laughs> and we got Wampa the Cat here, and Mushka the Cat. Um, so yeah, we, we, we like to keep it laid back, talk about it from a family perspective. Um, so I'll have little Han give his thoughts on it, uh, before I get into my detailed review, which I do each episode. Um, every episode, every episode. Yes. We, um, for the past year and, uh, well, just a little over a year, we've been talking about Star Wars resistance on dis on Disney XD. And that's where we I'm got started. You're flying the fireball. That's where we got started doing the podcast. Um, uh, if and you then we end we when huh? until we, uh time seventy five. Uh, they're not going to go seventy five episodes. Um, no, resistance is going to go no, about, until I'm seventy five. Until you're seventy five. Well, we'll keep doing the podcast till you're seventy five. That's fine. Um, but, but you'll be like a hundred. Well, okay. If I feel up to it, I'll do the show with you. Um, but let's talk about, um, we'll, we'll find out what you think about Mandalorian before I, I know what um, uh, I don't know if Mushka watched it yet, but, um, so, uh, it's, it's okay, really, bye. well, I don't know if you know, cause this is the first time they've done, a, a, well, this is the first time they've done a Star Wars TV show where it's not animated, where it's like, like the movies, where it's the real people and all that. So, I mean, this is something brand new, and we get to watch brand it. Get to watch it each week on Disney Plus. Now that that, that cool service is out, so make well, sure to watch episode two. Episode two, yeah. It we're three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Yeah, we are recording this before we've seen episode two, so there's gonna be some speculation. We don't know what's gonna happen yet. Um, but it, go ahead and tell everybody what did you think of the first episode. Have you ever watched Empire? So one or tw- once or twice. Once or twice. <laughs> yeah, I'm kidding. <laughs> so in Mandalorian, they they have like a steam that throws you in carbonite, and that's the same thing in Empire. But it's like a little base, and you fall in the steam, then it raises you back up at carbonite. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they do get frozen in carbonite on both um, Empire Strikes Back and Mandalorian. 
so that's, that's something I'll talk in, in detail about. Um, and the same is Boba Fett's bounty hunter and Mandalorian's bounty hunter. Yes, they're both bounty hunters, and they yeah they both wear the Mandalorian armor. Grego, until he died in. Who? Grego. Who's Grego? You don't know. <laughs> no, who are you talking about, kid? Grego, I killed him. What? <laughs> I killed him. Oh, you did? Okay. In New Hope, I killed him. Oh, Greedo. Greedo. Okay, all right. <laughs> I call him Grego. Grego, okay. Yeah, well, I, I didn't know you called him that. Um. So, okay, so you like the carbonite and... uh. Like... I like... I don't like the carbonite because I don't like getting frozen in it. Well, well, try not to get frozen in it. It's just for the for the people that are they're getting the bounties on. Um. So, what else did you like about the episode? I liked... Why Mandalorians never take off their helmets. Yeah, they... But if Boba Fett take off her helmet, why did this one not? Um, Boba Fett never did. And <laughs> now Jango Fett, his father did. Um, but, oh no, well, it's only been one episode, though. So maybe, maybe he will take his helmet off at some point. We don't know that yet. Oh, but why do I have a Mandalorian character and he has no face? Oh, on your Lego Mandalorian? Yeah. Um... Uh, well, I think sometimes they don't bother to make the faces underneath. They just do the the black, um, the black head for the characters. Yeah, like, Lego yeah, like they've done some stormtroopers like that. I think our major Von Reg, uh, Lego figure no, from. No, they haven't done stormtroopers. This is just an angry face. Well, oh, no, they've done stormtroopers that just had the black uh, head. They don't. Yeah. Um, so I think they're just, I think that's part of the fun is he's a mysterious character and you don't really know anything about him yet. So that's why they're keeping his helmet on. And And then more into the year, they might, if you buy the set again, the store might open the box and then put a face Mm -hmm. in. Yeah, that could be. Maybe by the end of the season, we'll find out what he, what he looks like. And then if they do like a Razor Crest Lego set or something, then you take the helmet off and he'll have a face. Who knows? Um, All right, so... um, What's wrong about the episode? Yeah, what else about the episode uh, do you want to talk about? I want to talk about... I think I heard brownie in it. You heard heard a porg? Yeah. What porg? I heard brownie. Maybe. There might have been porgs in the the background and we didn't know it. Um, All right, so what did you think of that ending? Uh, People are going to be talking a lot about that. Well, the ending... Looked like Yoda, but he died in Empire. So there's no way that's Yoda. It's probably Yoda's baby or something. Well, I mean, that could be Yoda's baby, could be... But he died. Then this baby will be all alone. Well, um... It's mom. Well, we don't know know anything yet. But that was... That was surprised me when when I saw... I uh, thought it was Yoda's baby. Yeah, because we've only... We've only ever seen Yoda and, like, one other person of his race... Um, I don't know if you, you spotted her. She was in the Phantom Menace on the council. Yeah. 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 I don't know if you knew that. Um, so uh, this is the first time we've seen a well, real, a, a, not animated a, show. Right. And, well, no, the first time we've seen, a, a young version of him. So yeah. I cannot wait to find out what all this is about. I can't not wait to find a shirt pillow. <laughs> All right. Why so, no all right. Uh, anything else you wanna you wanna say to the people about the show, so far? So far. I wish I hadn't killed Grego. <laughs> What's the um, next guy? Yeah.
So what else do you want to watch on Disney Plus? You know, we're going to watch Rocketeer. Rocketeer, yeah. And what else do you want to watch? The man with the car? Car uh, mind? We're going to watch the Herbie movies. Yeah, where uh, the car has a mind of its own. I, I loved those when I was your age. I'm going to throw Grego around the place. <laughs> yeah, you and Grego. Well, 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 well all the Star Wars movies are on there. We'll watch yeah. uh, the scene with Grego. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well. Let's talk about show. All right. Ow! We're, you okay? Yeah. All right. Yes, we're going to talk I about... I tried to snap and I did that. Oh, no. But, yes, we're going to talk about the show, and there will be plenty to, plenty to cover for the whole season. We're looking forward to the it. The whole season. What is the... There. Very good. All right. Thank you for your input, little Han. And here we go with our full, full rundown of the episode. Let's move on, though, to the uh, actual episode. Uh, again, it was called Chapter One. Uh, this was written by John Favreau, who, of course, is the executive producer and the creator of The Mandalorian. Uh, if you have been following the show, you know his history. He was pre Vizsla on Clone Wars, so uh, he has had a sneaky, important history with Star Wars uh, the last 15 years or so uh, but written by John Favreau directed by Dave Filoni uh, the, the Padawan the heir apparent of Star Wars uh, Dave has uh, done Clone Wars Rebels uh, helped with Resistance um, I mean, he is responsible for Star Wars TV uh, in many ways and this was his first chance to direct live-action Star Wars um, hopefully it's just a start for him and there's a movie down the road um, but it it was gonna be I knew a fun chance to see what he could do uh, in this arena and not not just with animated um, so I'll, I'll talk about that and you know, I'll mention the uh, directors each time because they had such a great group assembled to work on this show so far. And uh, they have their own version of the Marvel opening, I guess you could say, uh, with uh, uh, the helmets and droids and the red and blue lights. I thought that was neat, uh, kind of its own little stamp. I'm not sure if that'll be restricted to just Star Wars TV or it's a Disney Plus thing, uh, but I imagine we'll see more of it. And then what was neat was when we got that beeping during. So you're, you're thinking, oh, that's part of it. But as it turns out, that's the beeping of the tracking fob that the Mandalorian is using in the opening scene. And it did like that we've got... Now, these unique names for things they're doing or using. Uh, they've got the tracking fob, um, the bounty puck. Uh, you know, it's kind of familiar words, but unique enough in, in Star Wars for us to immediately know what they mean uh, so that they can be used in the future. We don't have to stop for explanation or anything like that. Uh, so this... Ice world begins us out. Of course, we've had you know ice and snow planets before in Star Wars, but uh, 
this seems to be the first that is that takes place on a sheet of ice, like it's a frozen ocean. Um, you know, we're, we're not sure if the t- uh, the little town itself, uh, where the cantina is, is on solid ground, but clearly, uh, the where all the ships are parked. Um, just a little bit later, that's clearly on ice, so that that was neat, and that's different. Uh, gave us a nice little thrill with a monster. And so we do have that little town. Uh, yeah. You know, we'll, we'll talk about it, and I mean, they, they've made it really obvious. You know, there's so many Western, uh, spaghetti Western influences on the show. Um, you know, the gunslinger coming into the bar um, at the edge of town is such a classic scene. And they did their own, they jumped right into it, did their own version here, and it's it was really cool. I mean, it's immediately Star Wars, but it's immediately the influences. Uh, so it was, it was a nice blend there. And it was, uh, you know, you only appreciate this on second viewing, you know, the first thing you see is what looks like these guys bullying this blue alien. When, in fact, as we found out, he's the bounty and they were um, supposedly, you know, trying to bring them in themselves uh, before the Mandalorian shows up. So that was cool. And, you know, as we see the Mithral, this alien... You know, he speaks, well, English to us, basic, in Star Wars. Uh, he speaks basic the whole time. There's no subtitles. But, you know, I remember watching the scene the first time. I was like, well, he seems familiar. I I, I imagine it's, it's some semi-famous uh, actor that we're supposed to know. But, you know, it's one of those where I couldn't quite put my finger on it. And even after viewing, um, you know, the the some of the credits were kind of small, so we couldn't immediately read it. Um, but only after I jumped online and did somebody pointed it out did I realize it was Horatio Sands from Saturday Night Live. And I thought, wow. You know, you go back and watch the second time, you're like, okay, that was him. Um, but yeah, that was really cool. I mean, it was a part he was able to do on his own. and um, Yeah, it, it was just really cool. Uh, so good to see him doing something like that, and I think that's that they're going to be doing more of that with cameos and stuff like that. You know, they've already teased some, but that was one that came out of nowhere. So then you've got the Mandalorian. Um, you know, the strong, silent type comes up to the bar. And I, I, I love they they did the nervous bartender thing. He was like, "Oh, don't, don't make a mess, boys." You know, just go about your business. Attitude, but you know, he's trying to hold things long about about the drink and and sliding the drink down the bar. Um, another traditional shot, and then we get the brawl. And yes, that Corin did get sliced in two, like we thought he would. And they, they showed it to a decent, 
a decent length. Um, you know, not, not like grotesquely graphic or anything. So, I mean, little Han's already been talking about the show and, um, you know, he didn't mind a scene like that. So they're still keeping it family friendly, but while definitely making it more grown up than some Star Wars. I, I do have to say, and I'll, I'll mention this more and more, um, just the diversity of the aliens in the bar and uh, the effects, uh, whether it be CG or makeup. I mean, they made some good-looking aliens in that. I mean, in some cases, better than certain Star Wars films. The the Quarren, which uh, old school, what you would call a squid face, I mean, he looked really good, like, better than what they had in Jedi uh, back in the day uh, so yeah I mean, just yeah bravo on the effects for the aliens and the choice to do so so many diverse aliens I thought that was really cool and Mandalorian does get a great opening line um, I can bring you in warmer I can bring you in cold I mean, what can you say? That's pretty cool. Um, and then we get the title card. Um, so that was our opening. And that was one thing I was wondering before the show started. You know, it's the first live action show. How are they, they going to do it? Is it going to be like where the credits roll over the opening? Or um, are they going to wait till the end to reveal the, the show title? You know, how are they going to do it? turns out it's like other Star Wars animated where there's an opening run the title card get into the main story and then have credits at the end uh, so they stuck to that but still feels new and it's pretty bad when you can't even figure out what your own notes say Oh, um, that's because I wrote the Grendon species, but I couldn't even figure it out from the, uh, sub, uh, it's always good to turn on the, um, the subtitles or the closed captioning, uh, that way you pick up extra details. I always try to do that when I'm doing my show notes. Um, uh, but the, the, oh, when they're out on the ice and trying to get a speeder, uh, it's it's the same species as the Imperial Snitch in A New Hope, um, but um, it was Grindon was the the character in that in that movie. Um, I like that he calls the speeders to him with uh, with his little flute, <laughs> almost like Legend of Zelda, where you have to play the flute to have the little tornado whisk you away. And then you know we get new designs of speeders in this scene uh, here and in other parts we get different functions of droids in this case it's uh, similar to Jedi Starfighters where it's just the the droid dome that we see this is our first hint of how the Mandalorian feels about droids you know he says no droids later on um, he laments you know IG-11 being there this will... I mean, I'll go ahead and mention it. 
I think this goes back to the fact that the Mandalorian himself, that character, was a child during the Clone Wars. I'll talk more about it when we get to the flashback. But I think it has to do with his experience with the droid armies way back when. Oh, and um, kind of kind of half recognized him then, but Brian Posehn was the uh, the cabbie or the the driver of the speeder. Uh, it's good to see him make a cameo, even though he didn't last too long. Um, and they and they did use. Uh, I think this is our first time getting to see that they're going to use the traditional Star Wars wipes, where you go from scene to scene, and the you know the it wipes from one direction to another. Or, you know, Iris in and out, and just uh, George, you know, used that a lot of different ways. So it's cool they're still doing that. You know, when they did, um, I don't think Rogue One or Solo had any. So it's, it's cool to see they're doing it on TV. And it's also our first uh, look at the Razor Crest. Uh, it's kind of a nice reveal because it's the point of view from the speeder where they drive around it. So it's a chance to see um, the different angles of it. And then we get uh, hints of the functionality of the ship a little bit later. Um, based on the trailer, we get to see it in action in space uh, at some point. Uh, but then the we have the creature coming through the ice, uh, takes out the poor speeder driver, and then is uh, attacking the Razor Crest itself. Uh, that's a pretty good effect with a ice creature um, gnawing onto the ship. I mean, that's just amazing effect for a TV show. And then we get the and the Mandalorian using his electro staff um, rifle weapon. Uh, influenced by the, ho the the holiday special, I get to see him use that for the first time. It's able to, you know, electrify an entire creature that big. So imagine what it'll do at close range on somebody. Uh, so once he's in space and he's got uh, the mithril with him in custody, uh, you know. It, Think about that cockpit scene where he's, uh, you know, being silent and doesn't have to say much, uh, just being menacing with his silence. And then later on, um, you know, he has to keep talking to negotiate with IG-11. So, I mean, he's quiet when he needs to be and he's talkative when he needs to be. So, he's not, he's in no way a one-dimensional character even after one episode. So, that was cool. And, um, it, okay, so we get to see uh, what's called the vac tube. Uh, it's basically, I mean, if you know anything about, um, like, NASA and the astronauts, you know, they have, that's how they go to the bathroom. They use vacuums and storage and, you know, jettison the, uh, the urine. Uh, so same, looks like same kind of principle here, even though they, he has gravity on the ship, of course. Um, so it's not actually our first look at a toilet on Star Wars. If you're a fan of Rebels, uh, Wedge uh, used uh, what was known as the refresher on that show. 
so Dave is, you know, he's known for showing um, uh, the restroom or, you know, the facilities. So if you've ever wondered how they go, there you go. Uh, if you don't know what Life Day is, uh, you know, Mithral was, when he was being chatty, trying to distract, mentions uh, Life Day. Uh, that's that's from the holiday special. <laughs> and uh, uh, John Favreau is a con- uh, confessed fan of that. I've seen it. It's uh, it is just not good. <laughs> but you know what? It's, it's Star Wars history. Uh, Life Day celebrated by the Wookiees. Maybe other species do too. So then we get the the reveal of the carbonite slabs, and I, it's, I mean, you know, I loved everything I saw in the trailer, but it's too bad in a way that we already knew that he uses that method, because, you know, for the first time viewer that reveal of the side panel with the flashing light and the that wah 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 sound straight out of Return of the Jedi when Leia was getting ready to unthaw Han uh, it just brings back some you know cool thoughts um, and then Mithral you know is going through the not, not a stack but he's just seeing you know you've got a Rodian frozen in one you've got a woman frozen in another and this a male in in the third uh, you know I'm sure it's just I don't think they'll reveal who it was certainly hope the woman wasn't Dr. Afro. I did think the male kind of looked like Orson Welles it was the first person that came to mind I know it's kind of random and then he gets frozen Turn, turns out the Mandalorian does have a portable carbon freezing equipment on his ship. So he's got the four slabs lined up with each other. And I talked about this a bit when I reviewed the trailer. I mean, the idea of somebody else besides Han Solo being frozen brings back so many fantasies I had when I was playing with my figures as a kid. Not just the Kenner figures, um, or the, the you know the three and three quarter fi- inch figures. Uh, for those of you who remember, there's a series called the Micro Collection, which was these little die cast figures of the characters. It wasn't an inch tall, and they came with ships and play sets, and they had and there was. Divided up into worlds. So you had Hoth world, you had Death Star world, and you had um, Bespin world. And the carbon freezing chamber was one of those um, playsets. And it was really cool because it came with like Han and Boba Fett and Vader and Lando and Lobot. Stormtroopers, you know, I mean, pretty good variety of figures. But what you could do is uh, put Han above the the hole for the freezing chamber and then using a little mechanism lower him down and twist and turn it um kind of like a lazy susan type thing so that the uh, figure as the carbonite slab would pop up so you could pretend that you froze him 
well, uh, the way they, the die, the way the diecast look, it was kind of generic enough to where you could like lower other characters down. Like you were freezing them, like, you know, Lando or Luke. So then you start, start thinking, Oh, maybe they could capture other people and have them like that. So here we are all these years later. And John Favreau did just that writing in, you know, other characters being frozen and it, being familiar but it being you know new uh, and that was that was just really cool to me and then you know a little bit later we see them um, levitated out of the ship uh, when the bounties are being collected um, yeah yeah that was, that was just really cool so it takes me back to playing with my, my micros so I really appreciate that So after all that fun, we get to um, an outpost planet. Uh, it's kind of foggy. It's uh, kind of gray rock looking. And, you know, as we'll see with the other planet at the end of the episode, which does have a name, and I think I wrote that down. Yeah, uh, clearly, I mean, it's a TV show. And I think they, my guess is they did some like set redecorations like you do for TV shows. If you're a fan of Star Wars The Next Generation, Star Trek The Next Generation, um, think about how many episodes had a cave or something like that. They just redress those and move the sets around all the time to make new settings, but with the same materials. You know, because it was all like bars and, um, you know, little like town streets and all that on this show. I think it's seems like they tried to efficiently reuse sets, but I mean, think about it. This episode takes place on three different planets four if you include the flashbacks, but they all look different enough that they got away with it. And I think that's, you know, pretty effective for a show. So we've got this new planet where it appears just to be an enclave, for bounty hunters to meet and, um, you know, get their assignments and stuff like that. Um, maybe we'll find out more about it, you know, because this is where the, the client is, this is where the Mandalorians are. So we've got... Uh, our first look at Grief Cargo, played by Carl Weathers. And, I mean, he's one of the first non-Star Wars actors I probably became familiar with because I watched, I loved the Rocky movies as a kid. Um, uh, especially Rocky Three. I used to watch it a lot. You know, he was... Um, and Predator, um, Happy Gilmore, people know from that too. Um, so it's really cool to see somebody like Carl Weathers in a Star Wars. Um, and, and it's only this one scene, but I like, you know, the the character already. I'll say uh, he'll be in more episodes, so I'll kind of save a breakdown of him for later. But uh, nice introduction for him. 
And as the Mandalorian is turning in his um, the fobs to collect his payment, we get you know, he's offered Imperial credits, which you know this is five years after uh, the end of the Empire, the Battle of Endor, at in Return of the Jedi. Um, you know, it's pointed out that the credits still spend, but they're not worth as much. And then he's offered uh, calamari and flan. Which is a really neat thing. It's basically like jelly discs. Um, and that's a currency. Uh, from the, the Mon Calamari. And. You know. It, like the, the Mandalorian. I mean he's he doesn't want. Full payment in Imperial credits. And he'll take half. Of what he's owed in Flan. Um. You know, it makes me wonder how he feels about the Empire, too, or does he just want the most effective payment? You know, what's his motivation there? Maybe we'll find out. But but I dig that they're already showing us, like, what different currencies are out there. Um, you know, because I mean, we just got the whole Republic credits thing and uh, the prequels and, you know, like Han would... And Jabba would talk about dollar amounts, but you never really knew what the currency was. So, I mean, here's two different ones in one scene. That's pretty cool. So hopefully we'll get more of that. And, um, and we start to get hints about how the Bounty Hunters Guild operates. Um, you know, they're... Well, I mean, it's the best you could do to have an honor system so you know so they're not all just like chasing the same people like you know they have assignments or or choose their own assignments to say um you know we find out more a little bit more about the guild from ig11 later on um so hopefully that'll be a running theme Um, so then, you know, here gets us started with a plot where the Mandalorian takes an off-the-books job where he has to go meet the client pay, played by Werner Herzog. And we um, get to meet a character called Dr. Pershing played by... Um, oh, I wrote his name down, but let's see. It is... Um, I'm going to mess his name up, so I'll save it because I'm sure he'll be in another episode. And then we get... There are stormtroopers in the scene. But, I mean, look at their outfits. They're dirty. I mean, they're red, so it's probably, like, stained blood on them. And I think the series will explore. I mean, the Empire was defeated. These are Imperial remnants, you know. Uh, these are characters who are trying to hold together, like, the tradition of the Empire. But they're not upkeeping it. You know, it's not the pristine white armor that we're so used to. And if you, and if you think about it, they didn't mention the New Republic in this episode once. But that's the new government that's trying to get a foothold. And if you read a book... Um, in the new canon, like Alpha, Alphabet Squadron, you know that uh, establishing this new government has been hard because they didn't really have a plan. 
they were like, okay, we got to, you know, we have people who were former senators and are familiar with the government, but they were just trying to defeat the empire and then go from there. And, you know, this series is taking place in the outer rim on the outskirts. So it's lawless. And you have characters like, maybe we don't know his official name, but I think he's referred to as the client, uh, Werner Herzog. You know, the client, he's got an imperial symbol around his necklace. They're trying to keep that together for good or for bad. And then um, Dr. Pershing is very interesting. So far, he's wearing the uniform of like an imperial scientist. It's very similar to what Galen Erso wore uh, on Edu in Rogue One. And as been pointed out, I think uh, Numidian Prime on Twitter uh, tweeted it out and gave credit to another person. On, his, on Dr. Pershing's sleeve is the insignia from Camino that is worn by clones. So, yeah, I think there's a lot more to, uh, to go with him. And I think it goes into play with what we found out at the end of the episode. So um, I will be interested to see where that goes. So the Mandalorian is given... Um, you know, very little information about this asset. Um, all he knows is that it's 50 years old and is giving the tracking fob. Uh, with the instruction to bring the asset in alive and terminate proof of termination if necessary for a lower fee. But they want they want this asset alive. So... I thought that was, you know, that's important detail for later. And then we, um, you know, the Mandalorian goes back out, um, goes to a different part of the town. You know, we get uh, some of the street vendor stuff with the uh, Kawaki monkey lizard being roasted while another one watches, uh, which all I could think of, uh, if, if if you've been watching Star Wars Resistance, they had the episode where Poe Dameron and Kaz Ziono um, have to uh, fend off some monkey lizards, and Poe Poe is does not like them. He hates them. So that, I was actually thinking of Poe when I saw that. I said, "Well, he'd probably appreciate it being roasted." Uh, <laughs> some people didn't like that, but I thought it was it made me think of Poe. So we we get to this very mysterious Mandalorian sanctuary or underground sect. Um, I'm not sure what to refer to it as yet. So hopefully we'll be getting more details. I mean, that's a crazy thing. It's the first live-action Star Wars, you know, where it's not like, oh, maybe we'll find out in the next two films uh, of the trilogy. No. I mean, this is... Well, I was going to say it's an eight-hour series, but it turns out this is only 40 minutes. Um, I don't know if each episode will be like that. I was kind of surprised because I figured it'd be hour-long, you know, like your typical Netflix show or an HBO show. It does make me wonder, did they make it 40 minutes so that they can put it on TV later, like, you know, Freeform or one of the Disney properties? Um, because 40 minutes is enough time to add in commercials and run it over an hour. Uh, so maybe, you know, maybe in a year or two, um, 
it'll be on broadcast TV. But anyway, I mean, they're they're setting up and they ask so many questions and set up so many things that to be answered later. Uh, more so than your typical Star Wars, just because of the amount of time they're gonna have to work with. Uh, so you got this Mandalorian enclave. I mean, you see other Mandalorians. You see, I don't see you know, someone who looks like Boba Fett in the shadows. Um, you see the you see kids. Uh, you see the Mythosaur um, skull symbol above that door. And we have we made the armor. Or the blacksmith um, played, well, at least voiced by Emily Swallow. I'm not sure if that was actually her. Um, you know, when I when I first found out about the series and we were getting small details, I thought he was going to be like a lone Mandalorian who would only later encounter other Mandalorians. And turns out that is not the case. That he's already with this group, um, but we don't have a lot of explanation you know we we get these terms thrown around by the armor um, she's talking about the great purge and has his signet been revealed and um, talking about the foundlings uh, when he I haven't, I haven't even mentioned the Beskar uh, steel yet yeah, there's a lot of mysterious things going on with the Mandalorians that I hope we find out more about. Um, yeah, I'll go ahead and mention the Beskar steel. I mean, that's something that's been established in Star Wars before. And that's a good time to mention, <clears throat> if you're not as familiar, the Mandalorian armor and weapons. And they talked about it on uh, Rebels some. All of that was developed centuries ago for the Mandalorians to fight the Jedi. That the Beskar steel in their armor is meant to deflect grazes from lightsaber strikes, and um, that their the weapons on their gauntlets are anti-Jedi weapons. Um, so you know, strong, powerful stuff. Um, <clears throat> and um, you know, the scene where she melts melts down the Beskar and makes him a new shoulder pauldron. Uh, that's pretty cool because, I mean, if you, if you, if you happen to notice, the, his old pauldron was uh, taken from a, a shore trooper, like the, the characters they had in Rogue One. Uh, so it's going to be neat if he keeps acquiring Beskar from doing jobs and, you know, keeps improving his armor uh, throughout. I thought it paid off nicely. Like he did get shot in the shoulder by the corn at the beginning of the episode, but you know he gets this brand new, really strong Beskar pauldron in this scene, and then later on, um, that's exactly where IG Eleven shoots him. But you know he's fine because he's upgraded his armor. Um, now the Great Purge. Uh, Uh, it makes you wonder, is that something the Empire did to Mandalore during the Galactic Civil War? Uh, we don't know yet. Um, you know, what? what's the significance of the Signet? We don't know. No, the Foundlings. This is where I'll get into some some speculation. So as she's forging his pauldron, 
you know, we, we get these quick flashbacks of this family uh, being attacked and this uh, young boy being, like, locked away. It's kind of reminiscent of what happened to Jen Urso. My guess is that's the Mandalorian as a child. And parts of this were seen in the trailer. And then um, people noticed there were super battle droids in in those scenes and a droid uh, ship uh, similar to the one on Kashyyyk in Revenge of the Sith. And this goes back to his feelings about droids. My thinking is, until proven otherwise, that he is not a Mandalorian by birth. That he and his family were on whatever planet that was attacked by the the Confederacy during the Clone Wars. And that the droids attacked their home. And that he was hidden away to be protected by his parents and they eventually died. And then when the smoke cleared, or during the battle, he was rescued by Mandalorians. And they took him in. And he was found by them. Therefore, he's a foundling. He's not a Mandalorian by birth, but he was further raised by Mandalorians and taught their culture. And by forging Beskar into a new outfit and eventually acquiring a signet, that's how he becomes a true Mandalorian. That's his quest. Again, speculation on my part, but I think that's what all that means. Like I say, I don't know about the Great Purge, but I think that's where the foundling comes into play, that he is not birth Mandalorian. He was found and raised. I think that also comes into play when he discovers the being at the end of the episode and does not want to take it in because he, or it doesn't want to kill it because it makes him think about his situation when he was young. So again, that speculation may be proven wrong in episode two. We'll see. Um, so he's got to go track this, this asset. Uh, the planet is Arvala seven. So the seventh planet of the Arvala system. Uh, it was the one that kind of looked like, a. Oh, and it was in the trailer where the landscape looks like a, a brownie. I'm not, I think I'm stealing that from John Hoey at <clears throat> resistance broadcast. Uh, I think he mentioned it look kind of look like that. You know how like when you really cook, you know, bake a really good brownie and the um, the top of it cracks and you know. Anyway, um, so he gets out his electro gun and it, the gun has a scope on it. I thought it was pretty neat the the scope on the gun, and when he sees the uh, blurgs in the distance. I think that's the same scope he uses later when he's. Um, looking at the um, the encampment, he just took it off the gun so he can use it uh, instead of uh, like uh, binoculars or whatever. So then we get the uh, the blurgs attacking him, which um, looked pretty good. And also, this was uh, the only time we got a hint that he has a flamethrower on his. Um, on his armor like uh, Jango Fett and Boba did. Um, he tried to, you know, fry them, but he got bitten first. 
Um, so he's you know, fighting off the Blurgs, um, and then uh, he's rescued by, or helped by an Ugnaught. And let me see, they didn't say his name in the episode, so I'm not sure if it's Quill or Quill. Uh, but he's voiced by Nick Nolte. And uh, people so far online seem to like him. I, I dig his I have spoken um, statement after important things he says. I mean, he's just, uh, so far he's a very memorable, well-spoken character. And I like his um, farm or his homestead or uh, whatever. Uh, you know, we get the scene where he, you know, agrees to train the Mandalorian to ride the Blurgs because uh, that's the only way to get to the encampment. And I, I like that because you think, oh, it's Star Wars. Why doesn't he just fly to the encampment? Well, it's more complicated than that because you can't just go in with the Razor Crest guns blazing and take out the encampment because there's a very precious asset there that you have to go in and get. Um, and so you can't land anywhere close because they'll hear you. So then you do have to ride in uh, since so it can't be achieved on foot. So, yeah, the, the blurg training was necessary, I would say. Um, it's, uh, I mean, uh, the effects were awesome all the way through. Uh, when he was uh, trying to ride it at first, that, that's, uh, that's the only... Oh, it's CG moment. But then, uh, if you're familiar with the Blurgs from Clone Wars and Rebels, because we see them on Ryloth, uh, because they're, you know, two-legged, it's very herky-jerky movements for the creatures. So, the way they animated it for live action actually works out pretty well. So, I think that's why it looks a little more CG than, uh, like say the ice creature uh, is just because of the nature of the beasts and the way they move because it looked herky-jerky on animated series um i guess i guess now's a good time for confession uh, obviously you know there's, there's you know western influences in you know cowboy type stuff uh there's samurai influences that we'll see I actually have not seen that many westerns and samurai movies. I have not yet watched Kurosawa, and I need to, I know. Because it, I understand they're great, and they've influenced George Lucas so much. But I actually haven't watched that many westerns. I've seen Tombstone once. Never seen Unforgiven. Haven't seen, you know, the old Eastwood movies. Um, yeah, that's something I need to add to my knowledge base um the western i've seen the most is back to the future three <laughs> um so because of that i'm actually f noticing influences whether intentional or not from other sources like basically anything with the mandalorian and quill quill to me it made me think of conan the barbarian those films um well, like the, the, the Schwarzenegger ones, uh, Conan the Barbarian, Conan the Destroyer, um, because he um, goes on his journey with, you know, he meets up with several people on in each movie, uh, but the one person who was in both movies with him was um, 
he's played by an actor named um, Mako, and he was um, like his chronicler, and he he kind of narrated the beginning and the end of each movie. And uh, Quill reminded me of the chronicler, and uh, with the the music, I haven't even mentioned the music yet. Uh, Ludwig Göransson, I I like his music. Um, yeah, I like how he's used it here. It's it's different, but it's still Star Wars. But especially when they're riding the blurgs out to the encampment, it reminded me so much of Conan. And um, yeah, so that was where I saw uh, influence, and I, I really liked it. Um, so yeah, I'll I'll probably find influences in other spots other than Western Samurai, just because of you know the movies I've watched and stuff. So, you know, as he's... I'm kind of skipping over stuff with Quill. But I just like his nobility about... He just wants peace for this area. That's why he's helped anybody who has been trying to collect the asset. Because he knows it'll... End the the violence and stuff there. I imagine we'll see more of him. So, um plenty of time to talk about him. There's so much to talk about in this first episode anyway. Um, and then we get IG-11 <laughs> showing up at the encampment. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I was excited for the character anyway, especially when I found out it was going to be voiced by Taika Waititi. Uh, but he turned out to be so much more awesome than I expected. Um, it's just great to see that kind of a droid in action finally after you know IG-88 all those years ago was just standing there on the Star Destroyer. And again, um, you know, Mandalorian's hesitation to work with IG-11, I think, goes back to his hatred of the battle droids because of what they did to his family. So, again, just speculation. Uh, so, I mean, then we, for the rest of the episode, we just get good old-fashioned gunfight. Um, you know, the, the design of the encampment made it great. You know, you had uh, guys from above, you know, the high ground didn't work for them because they got shot down, uh, guys coming in and out of doors, you know, you had the, the big blast doors to protect the asset so that, um, the, the fighting could be in other places, um, I loved everything about IG-11's movements, the way his body could, like, rotate around and in various parts to bla uh, blast. Um, looked like mostly a Nikto uh, group there. I don't think there were any other aliens. It's just so funny after watching Resistance for a year and having such a peaceful Nikto like Niku uh, to see these guys more reminiscent of, like, the, the thugs on... Well, as it turns out, like the Nikto were, you know, enslaved and worked for the Huts, and to see more more like that than peaceful, you know, happy-go-lucky engineers. Um, but I mean, that was cool. Uh, you know, I, I do recognize uh, the Western trope of, you know, shooting from the hip, which Nikto tried to do before IG-11 cut him down. 
Um, and of course, the whole thing was self, you know, having to activate self-destruct and then quoting the Bounty Hunters Guild um, subparagraphs. Yeah, um, yeah. I hope I hope he wasn't actually killed at the end because I want more IG Eleven. He was great. Um, okay, and whereas I thought all the stuff with the Ugnaught reminded me of Conan, for some reason, the Mandalorian's banter with IG Eleven reminded me of Batman when whenever like in the comic books or in certain media where Batman has had to work with another hero who maybe doesn't match his style of crime fighting or heroism um you know, obviously the killing aside um but yeah he reminded me of Batman where you know he was clearly <laughs> frustrated with having to work with this person um and you know thinking he's the, he's the more intelligent one and to follow his lead. Uh, I, got, I got a lot of Batman vibe from this. So, uh, yeah, I really liked that. Um, you know, you, you get them having to take out the cannon before it blows them away. And then, you know, of course it gets used to, to blast the door down anyway. Um, you know, you know, disintegrating or blasting doors to get through is, you know, it's classic Star Wars anyway, or New Hope, Last Jedi. And again, love Taika Waititi. I will gush about him more in the in episode eight, uh, the one he directed. Uh, but he was such a great choice to voice IG-11. I, I, I immediately went out and bought the Best Buy exclusive IG-11 Black Series figure. It's on my shelf. All right, so let's get to the ending. Um, I, I think it was appropriate that the protective container that the the being or the asset was in looked like an egg. You know, it's a symbol of you know maybe rebirth for these characters and. The, maybe the birth of hope for the galaxy. Who knows? I mean, we, there's so much to speculate on here. But and they find the weather looking for after they've taken everybody out, and it's Baby Yoda. And yeah, I was uh, just as shocked as everybody. I mean, I thought for sure that it would be. Um, well, you know, originally I figured it had to be the, the MacGuffin had to be some sort of infant or child. And then when the client mentions that they're 50 years old, you know, it kind of throws you off. You don't really think about it, but I mean, as soon as you see the ears and then the Mandalorian saying, you know, 50 years old, and, and then they do the shot where it's, yes, is a 50-year-old creature of Yoda's species who is, by their reckoning, still in infancy because, you know, Yoda lived to be 900. Yeah, I did not see that coming because, uh, as you may know, like, the mystery of Yoda's species is one of the great secrets that George has not revealed in any media that's been very protected. 
but no, they went, they went for it. Um, and there, yeah, there's so much to figure. Like, as I said, Dr. Pershing has hints that he's involved with the Camino ones and cloning is, is this a clone of Yoda? Is it Yoda's child? Because, I mean, like I said, uh, to little Han, there's only one other, one of the species we've met, and that is Seattle, who was on the Jedi Council in Phantom Menace. Did they have a kid together? You know, is it just someone else totally unrelated who just happens to be of that species? Uh, so much to wonder about. I will say, okay, so 50 years before this episode is nine years before The Phantom Menace. Who else is nine years old in The Phantom Menace? Anakin. I'm not saying it's related, but when the midichlorians created Anakin and, you know, provided for that virgin birth for Shmi Skywalker, does this creature have anything to do with that? We don't know. Like I say, they raise more questions for the rest of the series. So we, we've got a lot to find out. Now, I think it's important also that IG-11 immediately wants to terminate. Of course, Mandalorian stops him and kills him. Hopefully he'll be back. Because he's a droid. You know, they can be fixed. But... So IG-11 did not have a tracking fob and was told to terminate. It didn't act like there was an option. So the question is, who sent him to collect the being? Oh, and i got to give a shout-out to Lacey Gilleran at um, the Resistance Broadcast. She referred to him as Tiny, as in the acronym, This Is Not Yoda. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I like that. Um, yeah, so Tiny, um, who sent IG-11, who gave him the assignment? I think it's somebody besides Grief or the client. So that's a question to be asked, too. And that was the episode. And then we get the awesome uh, closing credits with uh, concept art, which I hope they do every episode, because that was great. And then we get more... Ludwig Gorenson music but that's a lot to take in for the first episode I mean as I'm recording this we're just hours away from episode 2 so there'll be more to talk about more to find out um, I am enjoying this, uh, this series so much uh, I just cannot believe this is happening where we're getting something like this on TV in this format I'm so excited about it I'm glad I can share it with my my kids um you know, my younger son, uh, who sometimes is my studio audience um, when he's around. I mean, he's going to grow up on this too. Um, it's just it's just so exciting. I cannot wait to see what happens here. And when we know this is season two, there we're getting at least 16 episodes of this. And I am so excited. But, I, you know, like I said, there's plenty of questions to be asked. We'll find out more next week or within, well, within hours. Um, 
but I hope you have enjoyed this, uh, my, the, the way I've broken this down for you. I uh, hope it's been informative. Um, I will be right back with a, an, a chapter two review in the, in the coming days. I'll st- I'm still reviewing Star Wars Resistance in their final season. Uh, if you'd like to find out more, uh, listen to some old episodes. I am on most major pos- podcast platforms, um, SoundCloud, uh, Google Play, um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Anchor, uh, Overcast. Uh, Radio Dakar is on social media, um, Instagram and Twitter, at Radio Dakar. Um, you can also become a patron of the show at patreon.com slash Radio Dakar. Um, if you have any comments of your own about The Mandalorian, please let me know on social media. Um, but we will be back uh, to talk about Chapter 2. Uh, Until then, may the Force be with you.